1: Welcome to our latest episode of Late Boomers. Today, we have as our special guest Kim Reed, award winning public relations expert who, in his distinguished career in advertising, publicity, and promotion, has launched many of Hollywood's most iconic films, television movies, and series, as well as legitimate theater and entertainment, dining, and shopping promenades.
2: And I'm Mary Elkins. In addition to his esteemed career in the entertainment industry, Kim has written three books under the name of V.K. Vasopoli, two fictional thrillers, The Reluctant Vigilante and The Reluctant Vigilante Reloaded, as well as his book on dating after divorce, titled Getting the Divorced Guy Back on, in the Game Before He Misses the On-Ramp to Life, and he has a memoir in the works. We'll be talking to Kim about his work in entertainment and also about his advice to men, as well as women, about getting back in the game after divorce. Welcome, Kim.
0: It's a thrill to be here.
2: Thanks. Great to have you.
1: We'd love to hear about your background and how it influenced your career choices.
0: Well, my background—I have a degree in journalism, and mm-hmm. and I didn't want to be a journalist. But the most logical extension from that was public relations, and i have always been close to the entertainment industry, so. Being an entertainment PR guy was was very appealing to me, and that uh, that started my career. At Universal, many many years ago, many years ago. And uh, do you want me to tell you what the the first thing that happened to I, me?
1: I do, oh. absolutely.
0: I joined Universal as an apprentice publicist, and uh, you know I didn't know anything about anything, which didn't matter, and <laughs> so I. I <laughs> I got called into my, my boss's office one day, and he said, "We've got a film shooting down in San Antonio, and a first time director and the publicist on the show is having a lot of trouble with everybody down there, and we're going to have a junket shortly, so we need you to go down there and help out." And I said, uh, "Fine." I said, "What's the film?" And the film was Sugarland Express. Oh, well, you, with it?
2: yeah! Oh, yeah! I love that film.
0: Well, the first-time director was Steven Spielberg.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh boy, <laughs> that's amazing!
0: And, and so I, I took care of business on that. I came back, and they said, "We got another low-budget, really low-budget film with a first, another first-time director, and they can't afford a publicist. So go out and see them. See these people put together some press materials, and uh, we'll, we'll take it from there." And I said, "What's the film?" The film was called American Graffiti.
2: Oh, another great film! Another classic.
0: It was, it was Lucas's George Lucas's first first time directing, and
2: a lot of first time people on the on these movies. Why did you get in on the ground floor? Didn't you?
0: I well, I did. I don't know what ever happened to those guys, but uh, (laughs) I I, I came out okay. So I came back from that, and they said, "We've got another film that we're not getting any attention for, and we need to get some traction for it." And we're going to put you out on a, on a three-month project with the uh, director. Now, this guy was not a first-time director. He'd been around a while. His name was Alfred Hitchcock.
2: Oh, geez. <laughs> I, I know you have stories to tell about him, but um, I'd like to ask you about your experience in television first. You worked at NBC and Universal and TV and MGM, Columbia. Um, talk about your experience on shows such as *Police Women* and Falcon Crest and 30 Something*. There's so many more to list, which I won't. But uh, do you have any interesting anecdotes about that?
0: I've been in the business for about 40 plus years. So there's a lot of experiences that I've had. And uh, I I documented a lot of them in that memoir. It's only because a friend of mine asked me about what I had done, some of the highlights and lowlights. And so I started writing this stuff down. All of a sudden, they became memoirs, about 70, 80 pages worth of stories. So I've got a lot of stories to tell. I don't know which one or ones. I mean, I I became very close to Angie Dickinson. One of the amusing things to me on that one was, I mean, she was really the hottie in her day.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, and for those those of us at a certain age, you know, wouldn't know her. Uh, But uh, if you know a policewoman or any of the things that she had done, you know how hot she was. And I Mm -hmm. got a call one day from her and she said, uh, what are you doing this weekend? I said, what, what, why do you ask? (laughs) He said, how would you like to be my date at the Emmy Awards? Mm. Can't turn that down. No, and where all my friends are taking, taking girls to the prom, I'm taking Angie Dickinson to the Emmys. (laughs) (laughs) This is a very cool job. And we did, we did go to the Emmys. And what was amusing about that was, uh, (laughs) She was divorced or getting divorced from Burt Bacharach at the time. And so things were a little up in the air, and I had to be very careful how we handled her. You know, when you're a publicist on a, on a TV show or a movie or, or virtually anything, you become their best friend, their confidant, their pal. Their, it's more than just publicizing a show or a, or a person. And so it was good that I was with her. Actually, actually I took her down there. And so we show up at the uh, at, it, then it was at the uh, Hollywood Palladium, it was where they had the awards of the year. <laughs> and we pull up, and there's the paparazzi, you know, tons of them. And and uh, I thought, oh boy, here we go. So we get out of the limo, and uh, everything is flashing left and right. And you know, she just is used to that sort of stuff. I'm on the other side of the cameras as a publicist. I'm not in front of the cameras, and so all these flashes are going off. I must've looked like the deer in the headlights. In fact, I know I do because I have the photo. (laughs) (laughs) photo And so we made her way in there. She was nominated for an Emmy. And so she didn't win. She said, can we go home early? I said, absolutely. Whatever you like. So we go out and I got to get through this maze of paparazzi again. And they're shooting left and right. And I always have to get in the car. So I got a call the next morning from a, a journalist. Uh, a woman who I've known for a very long time. And she said, uh, I hear Angie Dickinson had a new uh, hot uh, date and new diner life with her at the I said, no. I said, that was me. I was with her, not, uh, not some new stud that uh, is going to be at, at, uh, at the front of the National Enquirer. And then the woman said, I know. I saw you there. I was there. I saw you there. <laughs> but, i mean i was on that show for about uh four years and uh to this day i, I just have just fond memories of, of a lot of stories of with angie she's just one of the coolest people on the planet
2: hmm.
0: all sense of humor and she's lots of fun the, uh, yeah
1: it seems like everybody that meets her just gets a crush on her because do you remember the LA Times column, columnist, Chris Erskine? He would always write about her. He's so hung up on her. But obviously, right. she's a very beautiful person, obviously, inside and out.
0: Beautiful. And she's in her 90s now. Wow. yeah. I, think, I can see she just turned 90. And uh, <laughs> I should give her a call.
2: Yeah. And we talk to that. her since her work on Police I'm sorry? Have you talked to her since her work on Police Woman?
0: Yeah, yes. I, uh, we actually worked on a TV movie uh, in uh, Lake Tahoe.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it was following Police So, yeah, I saw her after that. Uh, and
1: we know you've also been involved with a number of hit motion pictures. And as you alluded to, you worked with the great, Alfred Hitchcock, and we would love to hear some stories about him, if you have any.
0: Hitchcock is just a legend. I mean, and here I am, I'm a 20-something-year-old kid working with Alfred Hitchcock for three months, one-on-one. And what we needed to do was, well, we needed to get some attention for the the film. The film was, and if you're a, a, a Hitchcock buff, it was the second to last film we ever directed. Do you know what the film was?
1: No, I fail.
0: If you ever get caught in a trivia contest, it was Frenzy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The very last and film we directed.
2: What's was the last one?
0: Family Plot. Oh, ah. Wasn't very good. I mean, here's a guy who did Psycho and Torn Curtain and The Birds and North by Northwest and Vertigo and just, oh, so many more that are iconic and classics and legends. And here I am this young kid with Hitchcock every day. I was with him every day of the week going through stuff they wanted to do. And what we wanted to do was do a retrospective of his, of his life's work, of his films at the LA County museum of art. And uh, we and we had a lot of talent from, from his movies there and there were screenings and panel discussions. And we figured that we could get some attention for the film with some media attending that thing too and uh and we did and it was it was terrific a week week long with Alfred hitchcock but it was about three months of planning and preparation to get to that point to do this thing and uh, as as it concluded i was called by his office to come over and have lunch with him as a thank you for all the hard work i did hmm. and and here's the problem with that huge conundrum this is alfred hitchcock you're sitting there with alfred hitchcock what do you say to alfred hitchcock
2: yeah, what do you say?
0: I'll tell you exactly what you say. <laughs> you say nothing. <laughs> you say absolutely nothing and just let him talk. And that is exactly what I did. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking, there are probably a billion people, especially a lot of film students, who would kill to be in my seat right now.
2: Yeah. Being
0: there with Alfred Hitchcock. And, uh,
1: so he was, was really talkative and offered a lot. Or did you have to ask a couple of questions to get him going?
0: I did ask a couple of questions, but uh, what, what he, the only thing I remember pretty much was his style of, of directing was to let the audience in on, on, on what the, what the hero is about to experience, but the hero doesn't know it. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think he called it the MacGuffin.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, if I'm kind of fascinated by one thing that you said, how, You would work on this every day for three months, because I have a feeling that's not how it's done now, is it? So much one-on-one and so much thorough examination of things with press. I
0: think it depends what the the project is, but in this one, he needed to be handheld. He needed to approve a lot of a lot of stuff. I mean, because there's a week long of screenings and of of panel discussions, and uh, I need to handhold him through all that stuff. Plus, Mm -hmm. take care of some other. PR stuff related to the film that he might be involved with. And the one story that comes to mind uh, was I went out to, to his office and I said, okay, what are you willing to do? And he said, I'll do three things. I'll do an AP print story. I'll do Tom Snyder. If you remember Tom Snyder, you uh-huh. liked him. You mm-hmm. watched him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He said, and I'll do the Merv Griffin show.
1: So he just laid it out. He told you basically. So That's what happened. I wanted.
0: Yeah. And, and and so I get a call from the associate producer from the Merv Griffin show. Said, we were very close, and I set up a lot of stuff with her. Wow. Her name was Betty Bitterman. And well, the studio said, oh, must Bitterman.
2: have loved you.
0: Uh, yeah, well, I was a very <laughs> active guy. And uh, I said to Betty, what, what's up? She said, we would love to have uh, Alfred Hitchcock on the show. And I said, seriously? Come on. This is Albert Hitchcock. He doesn't do TV shows. It's out, you know, I already had him in my hip pocket. I already knew. I said, okay, here's the deal. If I can get him to do the show with, with Merv Griffin, I need some help with another film that we're doing. It's called The Dawn Is Dead. Mm-hmm. And I said there it starred Anthony Quinn. Um, and, and a young actress named Angel Tompkins. I said, I need you to put Angel Tompkins on the show with Merv Griffin.
2: Uh-huh. uh mm-hmm. and,
0: and she said, really? If you, if you can get Alfred Hitchcock, we'd be happy to put her on the show. We don't know who she is, but we'll put her on the show. And I, and I already had Hitchcock in my hip pocket. And so it <laughs> was a done deal. And uh, we put her on the show. And uh, the Dawn is Dead turned out to be the movie is dead. Nothing, <laughs> nothing helped that movie up whatsoever. But uh, it was, they had uh, Hitchcock on the, on the uh, River Griffin show for 90 minutes. Kids, hey. especially them. So oh, anyhow, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. I, I probably didn't even realize what what was going on in my life at this point, and the kind of people that I was involved with and working with. You now I went from Spielberg to Lucas to Hitchcock. <laughs> Whoa, baby!
2: Yeah, really, that's so amazing. Did you have to trade actors like that when you were working with? Uh, with PR in the at the studios where you had to talk to television uh, shows and say, well, if you take this person, you have to take this person.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's how the game is played.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely, it's leverage.
2: <laughs> leverage. That's it. Do you remember any, any other stories about that?
0: Uh, people that I leveraged on the show.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: No, I only remember the
1: bad experiences. Well. <laughs> <Cool. laughs> Hitchcock one sounds pretty good.
2: It does. It sounds pretty, very good. Not just pretty good, very good. It, it's it's really a great note for people starting out When that you said that you didn't know what you were doing and boom, you work with Spielberg and Lucas and and Hitchcock. Um, let's talk about your book, Adventures in the Singling, Getting the Divorced Guy Back in the Game Before He Misses the On-Ramp to Life. You're kind of a, an expert on on love so how did that come about how did that book come about and why did you use the name uh vk Vasapoli as the author
0: well first of all I, I don't want to be characterized as an expert on this stuff because i just have experiences like everybody else on this planet but mine were so cathartic that uh, they were worth documenting in a book uh, because uh, i had observed other people's experiences I had my own. I had a lot of stories. I had research I'd done. I thought, I think I've got a book here. And uh, so that's how the book came about. The VK Vasipoli is the name I was born with.
2: Ah. Oh.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm a Sicilian.
2: Yes. Great. Well, yeah. Kim Reed is quite far from being Sicilian. Quite. But quite. Let's,
1: let's hear a lot more about this book.
2: Yes.
0: The book is predicated on the, uh, the, the, the idea that that guys, you know when, when, a, when a marriage or a long-term relationship or even a short-term relationship falls apart, it fell apart for some reason and it might be because the guy did something wrong. I put it, I put this on the guy. okay he may have done something wrong and maybe we can do it differently and do it better. Next time around. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the whole basis of the book, really, uh, for 360 pages oh. <laughs> to, to give you some some hints and some ideas about how it can be done better.
2: But well, the think, book uh, talks, about, talks to women, too, don't you think?
0: One of the things that, that uh, I was told by an agent was that it's not going to do very well because guys, men don't read, especially don't read books like this, self-help books. But women <laughs> do. And so I really designed this thing as a, as a dual gender read that women could get as much out of it as men because it'll give you women a, a chance to, to get some sense of what we guys are thinking, what we're doing, and uh, it gives you a heads up maybe on, on our motivation yeah. in terms of establishing a relationship. And so that was the whole idea behind the book. Uh and the biggest problem, I think, on the second time around for or third or whatever, how many times for, for a guy is how do you do it right and, and what do you do to do it right? You know, and the yeah, problem what are is, the
1: rules about manners that men need to know?
0: Well, there's a variety of things. And, uh, you know, dating and find, meeting people is very difficult these days, as it has been in the past because it was probably pretty much a bars and clubs situation. I'm not a bars and clubs guy. And so that, that never worked for me. And so where do you go? Where do you go to meet somebody? And, uh, the, the obvious answer to that is online. Well, mm-hmm. there's, two problems. there's two big problems with online dating. One is it, it is really kind of a feeding ground for predators. And the other problem is everybody lies.
2: Mm-hmm. Everybody oh
0: everybody lies
2: oh that's scary
0: and so the women that i had dated I now mean, there are quite a few because i dated every whack job and every nutcase and every fruit loops in the entire city you know <laughs> i bet you didn't
1: try I, did. <laughs> I, did, oh, I,
0: I did and it was just <laughs> it was uh, it, it was it was tough so online dating, which is a three-step process, which you probably know. I mean, you women are probably very aware of this stuff. But the three-step process, one is you connect online. And uh, and if that goes well, then maybe you trade phone numbers. And then you get a, a chance to listen to the voice and how they handle the English language. And if, if they can pronounce the word A-S-K as ask and not acts, <laughs> which I'm sure you've heard some people just can't pronounce it right. And then if that goes well, then you set up a third <laughs> encounter of the a close encounter of the third kind meeting. You get together. And so I, I just, one one recollection is I, I, I met this woman online and everything went well there. And we uh, spoke and we said, let's get together for a drinks or a dinner. And I thought, let's do dinner. I uh, know. I'm pulling out the, all the stops here. <laughs> and so I met, it was a, a a restaurant in uh, universal city and it had a, a kind of like a bar and a meeting area in front of it where the restaurant itself was. So I stationed myself very close to the front and, uh, and a few people walked in and I thought, well, there's an attractive person. There's an attractive person. And I didn't see her online. There's no photos online. It was just, uh, words. And so finally she walked in and she was an overweight <laughs> A type A personality attorney. And she said, are you Kim Reed? And I blew it. I blew it at that point. I could have said, no, I'm not.
2: Oh, and, no. And, and so what did she do? Did she just wait at another table?
0: Well, no, You know, <laughs> we hooked up and we, we, we got seated and we were barely even seated. Hardly even sat <laughs> down. She said, I have a question for you. And I said, yeah, well, what's that? And she said. What goes clop, clop, bang, bang, clop, clop? And I thought, oh, my God. I have no idea. What goes clop, clop, bang, bang, clop, clop? Do either of you know?
1: No. No.
0: It's an Amish drive-by shooting.
1: Oh. Ew.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's That's a great way to start a date. Yeah. I thought
0: thought (laughs) this is going to be a very very
2: long evening (laughs) Evening. a long dinner Uh, yeah very long well so
0: so i think that we both knew in the first five minutes that there was not going to be a second date
2: yeah yeah well kim (laughs) looking back at your own marriage what would you have done differently and um being that you've been in the dating stream are you paying attention to your own rules that you set forth in your book
0: without question and let me tell you a story let me give you an example of that and having dated all these whack jobs in every nutcase in that city, I finally had had enough. I thought, that's it. You know, I've, I've got a great kid, I've got great cats, I've got a nice life. I can get along without this whole dating thing, and I'm done. And then I got an email from this woman, very attractive woman, and she said, "You know, we have um, we have a lot in common. I saw, I read your profile, and uh, and uh, we should get together. How come we haven't hooked up?" And I wrote her back and I said, Well, I don't have an answer for that. You know, mostly I just didn't want to, I wasn't want to be out of the dating scene altogether. And she said, Well, we should get together. And I said, "Uh, Well, fine. And then she said, So what are you waiting for, big boy? (laughs) Oh, no. And I said, I think I have to meet this woman. (laughs) And so we arranged a dinner and got together. And that uh, was 17 years ago, and we're still together today.
2: Oh. Oh, I like that.
0: 17 years ago. And let me tell you what really kind of locked it in. She had, as we all do, a passion in life. I know, Mary, you've got tons. (laughs) Kathy, I'm sure you've got uh, plenty. But her passion in life was West Coast swing dancing. Oh. Okay. My passion in life at that time, for many, many years, was tennis. And so she was not going to enter my world because she just was not that athletic and she doesn't play tennis. And I do let it go. But I'm going to immerse myself into her world. I didn't dance. I didn't know how to dance at all. I thought, I could be a West Coast Swing dancer. And huh. one of her friends said, why don't you take some lessons? And then surprise her on her birthday. And, and ask her to dance. And I thought, what a cool idea. So I went to Arthur Murray and I said, look, You got eight weeks to turn me into a West Coast swing dancer.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. I said,
0: Can you do it? I said, Sure. I said, well, You haven't seen me dance yet. I said, This is my. And I, so I don't know if you're familiar with West Coast swing dancing, but it's a slot dance, meaning you both, the partners, dance in a slot as opposed to East Coast swing dancing or other dancing that's uh-huh. all over the place. This is okay. And so I was getting in the instructor's way, and she kept hitting me, and I kept hitting her, and I thought, oh, boy, this, this is not going to work out real well. But after eight weeks, I became a West Coast Swing Dancer. And so the morning of, it was like the day before her birthday, I think it was, I said, what are you going to do today? And she said, Donna, and I, I said, why don't you go dance with your friends? And she had a favorite place up in, in uh, Ventura. And I said, because I'm going to go golf, and then maybe we can hook up for dinner later on. And she said, "Okay, that's a good idea." And I, I already put this thing in motion with all of her friends. I had the cake at the place, and and uh, it was, you know, pretty well Uh-oh. set. And so, about two o'clock in the afternoon, I show up at this place. I've got a red rose in my hand. Oh. And she said, "What are you doing here?" And there was total disconnect because I don't dance. I should be out golfing. She said, "What are you doing here?" And I said, "Well, it's your birthday, like today or uh, tomorrow, whatever it was." I said, I'm here to ask you to dance.
2: Oh, I love this. So romantic. Yeah.
0: We got on the floor and we danced. And uh, I think we both fell in love. (sighs) I
1: I think you passed the test.
0: but And so that's explaining how to do it differently and do it better. The next time around, pay attention to the needs and the desires and the wants of your partner or potential partners, someone who could be, possibly could be a keeper. Because it's not about the guys and what we want all the time. It's a lot about what you women want. And I think that's pretty well illustrated in the book.
1: That's great. What kind of questions should men ask on a date then? Or or, or women, for that matter?
0: That's a good question about questions. Mm-hmm. I got, uh, someone sent me a, a list of questions, of icebreakers. Mm-hmm. On a first date, as if I needed a nice, bigger question. I'm a PR guy, as if I needed trouble talking to people. But I got this long list of things, and one was, which I thought was very fascinating. If you if you could spend some time with anybody, living or dead, anybody, who would that be?
2: Hmm. Well, who it did be you a- say?
0: I came up with three people, actually. Yes. Well, one was I wanted to go back like two or three generations on my family side to find out what my grandfather had done for a living because he immigrated from Sicily. But what did he do in Sicily? And what did his father do? And father before that. And so I'd like to know more about my own family history just by being hanging with these guys. And number two, I would love to have spent like a day or longer than that Hanging with George Gershwin. Oh. I mean, the guy died when he was 38 or so. And look at the look at the career and the life he had and the people he worked with and the, the wonderful music he created. Uh, you know, being a pianist, I would love to have spent time with him. And the third one, which gets a little weird, I guess, because I'm not a very religious person, but I thought, I would like to be hanging with Jesus Christ. And find out if if the stories are all true.
1: That's what I thought you were going to say. I just had a feeling you were going to say that. number three. And what's another good icebreaker?
0: Well, I tell you, the the, the one that you don't want to ask is, do you put out?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Probably not a good idea to ask that. (laughs) Any others about, like, cars or dream jobs or
0: not really not really the, the problem with and i think it's a problem i don't necessarily agree to the uh idea that opposites attract and so if you're going to ask questions you have to keep that in mind and to wit you know you there's the religion thing and then there's the politics thing and uh, are you on the same page with uh musical tastes you know maybe you want to go see uh a tony Bennett concert and she wants to see barry manilow well are you on the same page no not necessarily Um, what about uh food is she like sushi and you don't or vice versa is that a problem socioeconomic status is that going to be an issue would you like to sleep out under the stars and for her, being in Motel 6 is about as close as it gets to camping out.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
0: And then what about um, ghosts, UFOs, mediums, poltergeists, afterlife? And those are all you know worthy of questions to stimulate conversation. But do you both need to be on the same page with all that stuff? Maybe yes, maybe no especially in politics these days. Yeah. I mean, I know people, maybe including me, who have unfriended people who are not on the same page (laughs) with me. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I know. I know know married
1: couples that are very unhappy if their spouse goes to the other side when they thought they were a certain way, which has happened a lot.
0: And here's the big question that you have to ask yourself, the guy, if you've read my book or not, and here's the question. And that is, when do you know that your relationship that you've got going with somebody is the real deal and maybe uh, might uh, turn into a long-term or longer than that relationship? When do you know? What's the trigger point? What, uh, wh- what uh, allows you the opportunity to move forward without embarrassing yourself. But uh, do either of you have an answer to that? What?
2: You do. I do. I have three
0: answers answers to that. And there's probably more if I think about it, probably a lot more. And anybody who you ask this question to would have an opinion too that would probably be different than what I'm about to tell you. So there are probably a ton of answers to that. But what's the turning, in fact, I even had to write it down. So I didn't forget it. Well, let me just... Uh, how do you know when a relationship is more than just a casual dating thing? That's the question. More than just a casual dating thing. Number what, one. Do
1: you, what is your answer for us?
0: Well, the first answer is, believe it or not, sex is not the most important part of the relationship. All of a sudden, it's not the... Uh, be-all, do-all kind of thing. And I mean, it's important, but it's not the driving force in a relationship anymore. Hmm. I don't know if you agree with that.
2: At even, at no matter what age you are?
0: Well, that might play into it quite a bit because as as you get older, you know, you've know, kind of been there, done that sort of stuff. Maybe it's not as important, but uh, it's still very important. It's very important. But it's not the be-all, end-all in a relationship, I think. Number two, yeah. you send out Christmas cards with both your names on them. <laughs> that to me is is a trigger point, that you just jump from a casual relationship to a pretty solid permanent relationship. When you send out Christmas cards and both of your names are on it, and number wow. three, the most important one, and, and which I absolutely uh, am guilty of. And I actually, that's a bad way of saying it, but uh, the answer is when the other person is the first person you think about when you wake up in the morning and the very last person you think about when you go to bed at night.
1: Uh-huh.
0: That to me is when the relationship is gone from, casual to a keeper
2: and you still love looking at them
0: absolutely and i'm here to tell you after 17 years wow we are still together
2: oh that's so romantic kim we'll talk about the importance of good communication skills
0: there are Two things I think that, that are critically important in any relationship, short-term or long-term, especially long-term. Maybe especially short-term. Two things. What would those two things be? One, honesty. I think it's critically important. Number two, communication. I think that's where every everything goes south. I think that's where my marriage went south. That's where Life goes south if you don't have good communication skills. And uh, how you how, how you get those things is is uh, is a good question. You don't have to be a PR guy to understand communication skills.
2: Well, well, what what is taboo to talk about for both a man and a woman? What shouldn't they talk about on a date?
0: Number one, absolutely. Number one. Unless you don't want to talk about the the last president, uh, number one is do not talk about the last relationship you had, whether it was a marriage or or just a you know a fling, a former boyfriend, former girlfriend. I think that that probably ended up more than one of my nutty dates with the woman. Just crying her eyes out about it. the guy and what he did wrong and why it didn't work out and you know I don't want to hear it I don't need to hear it and don't want to hear it don't yeah. really care that was then this is now mm-hmm. and so I think that's the number one thing you do not talk about is the previous relationship
1: would there be an exception to that if your spouse had passed away possibly
0: well. That, that that's a whole different area and uh, but yes to to a certain degree, yes.
1: because following the dissolution of a marriage or even a breakup or becoming widowed, where do you advise people to go besides the internet to meet people?
0: Well, I'll give you several examples, several places and see if you agree with me or not. Okay. I even wrote these things down so that I wouldn't forget them. Hmm. This is beyond the, uh, the internet. One is the gym.
1: Uh-huh.
0: says a lot about you, that you're health-oriented, that you're interested in buffing up and you want to look good. And You may or may not meet somebody at the gym. Hmm. I have not, but uh, that's okay. Number two, the supermarket. <laughs>
2: The produce uh-huh. section. The <laughs> section
0: and don't bend over because you don't want to be mistaken for the special of the week <laughs> but the supermarket uh-huh. the hardware store
2: oh
0: women need to buy light bulbs uh-huh. no, and, uh, of course if you're hanging around the, the supermarket too long you're hanging around the the, the, the hardware store too long you'll be you know mistaken for a stalker or something I guess be careful. <laughs> Number three is, is the car wash. Oh, uh huh. Now, what you do, what the guy has to do is first you look at her hand to see if she's got a wedding ring on, and if, they, if there's no wedding ring on, then you check out what car she's looking at during the the dry period, and if it's a really hot car, an expensive car, okay, that might might want to you know move in there and say hi to her. <laughs>
2: What, what does that tell you about her?
0: <laughs> She's got some bucks. <laughs> yeah. The tennis club. Even if you don't play tennis, you can learn how to play or just take care of the social aspects of it. But there are a lot of people there, especially my tennis club, who are single and looking for love in all the right places.
1: Uh-huh.
0: The hair salon. You women talk about guys while you're getting your hair done. I know because the woman who cut my hair gives me all the, the lowdown on who's interested and who's not, and who's who's available and who's in fact, I had one very (laughs) kind of bad experience there. I got a call from, from my my hair girl one day and she said, I've got the perfect person for you. And I said, yeah, tell me about her. And uh, I said, there's two things I need to know. One is does she work? because I don't wanna be a sugar daddy. And where does she live? Because I don't wanna drive 8 million miles on a date, which I've done way too many times. So does she work? Where does she live? And she said, well, let me ask her. And I said, she's there right now? She's there? She said, yeah, let me oh. ask her. So she yelled, hey, Susan, uh, where do you live? And here's what I hear in the background. I live in Encino. <laughs> And I said, you know, he said, call me crazy, but I just got a little thing about dating somebody who's got a deeper voice than me. (laughs) And then that's going to be a problem for me. (laughs) But you can get tips. And I have several from the person that cuts your hair. I'm speaking about the guys who go to the hair salon because all you women go regularly. And that's what you talk about. You talk about guys and you talk about the last miserable guy and, (laughs) <laughs> Looking for the, the next best guy. <laughs> the religious people probably can meet people at church. Uh-huh.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the last one that I, I noted was, and it, uh, it's unfortunate. It actually, it worked out for me a couple of times pretty well. But that would be well-meaning friends.
2: <laughs> Blind dates.
0: Well meaning friends. I mean, really, they, they've got, they know somebody who's also looking for somebody. And, but they know you in a certain way and they know that other person in a certain way. And the two don't necessarily mesh. And, and you say thank you very much and you go on the date and you didn't have a good time. But, but I did have one it lasted quite a while. Okay. And it was because of a couple of well meaning friends. When it comes thank up in conversation, how you, how's your social life? How's your love life? How's your sex life? How's any of that life? You go, well, not so well. Well, I've got somebody for you.
2: <laughs>
0: okay.
2: Yeah. Reminds me of Bridget Jones' diary where she met her, the man who was going to be the love of her life at her parents' Christmas party. <laughs> so, so, Kim, how do you make sure your next relationship is the lasting one? You
0: go West Coast swing dancing with her.
2: Ah, yeah.
1: And what would you like our listeners to have as a takeaway today, Kim?
2: If you
0: read the book, the last line, the very last line in the book, the very last page, the last line, the last page, kind of says it all. And that is nothing more than strive to be happy. Mm -hmm. Whatever it takes after 380 pages, whatever it takes, <laughs> if that helps, if that helps, terrific. But the whole goal is strive to be happy. And just remember um, that if you, as Wayne Goritsky once said, if you don't take the shot, you can't score.
2: Oh, that's so true. I love that. Thank you so much, Kim. Our guest today on Late Boomers has been Kim Reed award-winning publicist who has been integral to bringing many of Hollywood's most iconic films and TV shows into the public forum, as well as author who writes under the name of V.K. Vasapoli That's V-A-S-A-P-O-L-L-I. Be sure to read his books. And again, his books are The Reluctant Vigilante, The Reluctant Vigilante Reloaded, and Getting the Divorced Guy Back in the Game Before He Misses the On-Ramp to Life. And his books are available everywhere.
1: And we want to remind our listeners to follow us on Instagram, at I am Kathy Worthington and at I am Mary elkins and at late boomers we hope our podcast content is bringing you some joy and inspiring you and you can write to us on our website lateboomers.biz thanks so much for listening and please subscribe to late boomers on your favorite platform thank you so much
2: kim
0: it has been an extreme pleasure
2: ours too We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact.